It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. It's day 25 in the trial of David Castillo. The CEO is accused of planning the murder of environmental activist Berta Cáceres. On this day, the judge calls a witness for the prosecution to the stand. Buenas tardes, señor Daniel Atala. Daniel Atala is part of the Atala Zabla family. They sunk millions of dollars into David Castillo's company, Dessa. For Berta's family and her supporters, Atala is a very important witness. He wasn't just an investor in Dessa. He was also the CFO, the man who kept track of the company's money. He was in regular contact with David before and after the murder. Even more important for the prosecution, the Atala Zabla family is David's connection to the powers that run Honduras. For them, just getting Daniel Atala on the stand carries a lot of symbolic weight. Berta herself often complained that wealthy and politically connected business leaders are untouchable by the Honduran justice system. She and her backers have always alleged that a handful of rich families, the Atalazablas among them, dominate the country's power structures. They contend that these families use their influence to buy protection from the government, from police, and from judges. The notion that the Atalazabla family might somehow be able to influence the outcome of this case has clung to it from the moment David Castillo was arrested as a suspect. It's an idea that the Atalazablas dismiss as ridiculous and paranoid. <laughs> not, not the wealthiest family in the country by, by far. We have, you know, a strong investment group, but it, by, it's, we, we don't have the lobbying capacity. We don't have the fund capacity. We don't have the funding capacity. That's Daniel Atala when we spoke to him last year. It's uh, extremely limited, and, we, and, and, and the investment that we have lost has, you know, made a big dent in, in, our, in our finances. 
There are two kinds of prosecutors in this case, the state prosecutors and the private prosecutors who represent Berta's family. The private prosecutor's big fear is that no matter how much evidence they present in court, David Castillo will still get off, that the Italizablas somehow will be able to shield David and themselves from punishment. So for them, forcing a member of the Italizabla family to be grilled in the witness box is a test of the court's integrity and independence. The defense has repeatedly appealed to the court to not make Daniel Atala testify. So this is a very big moment in the trial. But when Daniel Atala's name is called, he's not in the courtroom. The witness box is empty. To Berta's family, this is an ominous sign. A moment that seemed like a victory becomes a reminder that there are no guarantees in the trial of David Castillo. In our final episode, we'll take you all the way to the end of this trial. The judges will decide David Castillo's fate. A not guilty verdict would allow him to reclaim a life that he says has been stolen from him. And for Berta's family, a conviction would prove that justice in Honduras, five long years after they began searching for it, can still be found. I'm Monty Real, and this is Blood River. Daniela Tala is not in the courtroom. When it comes time for him to testify, his image pops up on a video screen. That's the judge asking if he can hear her okay. Other witnesses in Europe, in Mexico, in the United States have testified remotely. But the prosecutors wanted to question Atala face to face. So the judge asks, where are you? He's in Tegucigalpa, just minutes away from this courtroom. So why didn't he come in? He says he didn't want to unnecessarily expose himself to COVID-19. He says his wife and his mother suffer from respiratory problems. He says he stayed home for them. But there are only a handful of people in the courtroom. Witnesses keep their distance from them. Everyone's wearing masks. The judge orders him to come into court as soon as possible. This seems like a resounding, symbolic victory for the private prosecutors. And a few hours later, he's there, in the witness box, getting a microphone clipped to his shirt, getting sworn in. And almost immediately, he addresses the judge. He tells the judge that, on the advice of his lawyers, he's decided not to testify. He informs the judge that he, Danielle, is himself under investigation for this murder. That being the case, he can't be forced to talk about it in court. 
the mood immediately changes in the room, particularly among the team of private prosecutors. They don't seem ready for this revelation. They huddle together, whispering among themselves at their tables. They say they're not aware that an official investigation of Danielle has been opened. The judge says she isn't either. But the public prosecutors, the state's attorneys, say yes, it's true. Danielle is being investigated. And because of that, it's his constitutional right to remain silent. The private prosecutors say if he's ever been interrogated about this crime, it's news to them. They argue that to let him off the hook would be a violation, an abuse of the rights of the victims. It's an awkward situation. Both sets of prosecutors, the state and the private teams, are supposed to be working toward a common goal, a conviction. But even from the very first days after the murder, Berta's family has occasionally been critical of the state's handling of the investigation. And now, the private prosecutors seem to be arguing with the public prosecutors. This goes on for about a half an hour. And finally, the judge delivers the decision. The court won't force him to testify. The judges have sided with the defense and the public prosecutors. Daniela Tala is free to go. Danielle unclips the microphone from his shirt, steps out of the witness box, and walks out of the courtroom. For those watching the trial, it's hard to make sense of what just happened. Joseph Barra is a law professor at UCLA who's monitoring the trial for numerous human rights organizations. He says there are a couple of ways of looking at Atala's abrupt exit. It did kind of lead to some suspicions. I guess in the worst view uh, or more cynical view, was there some kind of confabulation to protect him by, say, giving him that argument and say, yeah, you're under investigation so you can avoid this testimony? This raises the possibility that the state prosecutors actually might be protecting Atala. And if that's true, they're undermining the case against David. On social media, some of Berta's backers point out that the government has known about the connections between David and Daniel Atala since 2016. They wonder why the state waited until now to reveal that Atala is under investigation. Was it only to protect him from testifying? But Barra says there's another way of looking at this. Maybe Daniel Atala isn't being protected by the state. Maybe he's being pursued more aggressively than anyone suspected. Now, I guess the positive is that if he is under investigation, there's potential that they could take the information that the family has been pointing at for a long time now, that there uh, is a, a network and a structure that was involved in this crime that goes beyond David Castillo. After Daniela Tala is dismissed, the private prosecutors call several other witnesses, 
Their testimony takes weeks. And then it's finally the defense's turn. Their strategy is pretty straightforward. David has been framed. Maybe it was malice or maybe just incompetence. Either way, his lawyers argue that the police botched everything. Here's one illustration that they highlight in court. It has to do with Mariano Diaz. Diaz, remember, was a middleman. He's already been convicted for helping to arrange the logistics of Berta's murder. The day of his arrest, Diaz gave a statement to the police. He said that Dessa's former head of security had offered him about $20,000 to help plan the murder. And Diaz says the money came from Dessa's manager. Prosecutors say he was referring to David. The statement was read in court, but Diaz never actually signed it, and it wasn't dated. The defense attorneys say this renders the statement worthless. The defense says another example of police incompetence centers on Brenda Barahona. She's the telephone expert who extracted most of the text messages and calls that implicated David. His lawyers have questioned her qualifications, her training, her technological expertise. And they've done this inside and outside of the courtroom. They say they've uncovered 133 errors of fact in her analysis. They say she, quote, hid messages that proved David and Berta were friends. They say she ignored messages suggesting other groups, not Dessa, also clashed with Berta. And Barahona didn't investigate them. That's from a video clip disparaging Barahona's work. David's team distributed it via social media. The defense team says their own experts dug out texts that Barahona ignored. And one of them is related to a key exchange between David and Douglas Bustillo. It's an exchange we've talked about several times in this series the mission-aborted texts. Bustillo, if you recall, was the former head of security for Dessa at the dam site. Barahona says he acted as the point man between David and the lower-level hitmen who carried out the killing. Remember that Barahona suggests that David and Bustillo originally planned the murder for February 2016, about a month before Berta was actually killed. She says that plan fell through, because Berta's family was with her when the hitmen went to her house. And this was when Bustillo and David exchanged messages referring to a mission aborted. Before the trial, David had explained to me that Barahona completely misinterpreted this text. David says when Bustillo messaged him in early February saying, mission aborted, he was talking about a trip he'd planned to take to Choluteca, that's a town where Dessa was developing a solar project. David says he wanted Bustillo to check it out because they'd been having problems with local gangs near the solar project. He could not travel to the project on that specific date. He was going to travel at a later date. David's team argues that they know of texts that specifically reference this aborted trip to Choluteca. And in court... They ask an expert to read one such exchange that was extracted from Bustillo's phone. In this chat string, Bustillo references a job that he's doing. 
He's asked where it's located, and his response is read aloud in court. In the south, in a project of energy of Suiche, Castillo, yesterday he called. He answers that it's at an energy plant in the south. He says, Castillo called me yesterday. In another message, ten days later, Bustillo is asked where he's at. Dice en Choluteca. There it is, Choluteca. However, the prosecutors seem ready for this. They point out the dates of those texts: March 8 and March 18th, 2016. Berta was killed on March 3rd, so the references to this trip to Choluteca come after Berta's murder, after police began investigating the crime, and after members of Berta's family. Urged the police to investigate Dessa as a suspect. The prosecutors suggest this is just another example of David's deception. That these after-the-fact references to Choluteca are attempts to establish an alibi. That he was just trying to cover his tracks. The defense isn't done trying to use text messages to undermine the prosecution's case. One exchange they highlight is between Berta and someone identified as Jeronimo. The defense says Jeronimo is Aureliano Molina, an ex-boyfriend of Berta's. The exchange was from June third, twenty fifteen, less than a year before the murder. It's extremely cryptic, but in it, Berta and Aureliano discuss a piece of land. Aureliano suggests to her the land might be used to quote. Let a bird land. Berta responds, "If there's no impact in the process," he replies, "There could be an impact. You can't be sure." A bit later, Berta sends him another message. She writes, "One time, no more." David's defense leaves the meaning of this open to interpretation. There's no other evidence presented to elaborate on it. But their suggestion is clear to the court that Berta was involved in something shady. On Twitter, an account dedicated to David's defense suggests that the bird was an airplane. The Twitter post states that the exchange quote alludes to narco trafficking and what could have been another line of investigation. Remember that this trial is being live streamed, and that spectators are commenting in real time. In the comments section next to the video feed, David's supporters pounce on this accusation. They suggest Berta was a drug dealer, and that Brenda Barahona protected her by not revealing these text messages earlier. To Berta's supporters, this feels like an outrage, but it's one they say they've come to expect. Karen Spring is a Canadian activist in Honduras. She was a friend of Berta's and worked with her on several campaigns. She says this strategy of personal attack felt familiar to her. That's something that um, they try. Uh, the, the Honduran government or companies try. You know, wealthy companies, wealthy families try and do to sort of say these people are bad people. They're involved in drug trafficking, and therefore they get whatever comes to them. She says these smears are particularly common against women. It was obviously alarming, you know, because you 
if people are watching and they don't understand those themes and those sort of um, patterns, then it's easy to fall into sort of question, well, maybe she was involved with some bad guys or maybe she was involved in drug trafficking, but it's such a common pattern that it wasn't surprising to me at all. The private prosecutors have insisted that gender and sexism are integral parts of this case. And Berta's daughters, Bertita Isabel and Laura, routinely refer to their mother's murder as a femicide. They say there's a machismo embedded in the Honduran political, economic, and justice systems. Berta's daughters say that mindset is at the root of the harassment Berta endured as an activist. They argue that it hasn't gone away, that Berta is still a victim of it, right here, in this trial. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. One of the final witnesses for the defense is a telephone expert who is hired by David's lawyers. He scoured Berta's phones and came up with additional messages and recordings that the prosecutors didn't include in the evidence they entered. Yet in the end, the prosecutors become interested in some of the messages he's extracted from her phone. They ask him to play one. In the courtroom, a voice that's been silent throughout all these weeks of testimony rings out. It's Berta. Thank you, colleagues. We are urgently denouncing that we are being harassed and illegally detained by employees of DESA, the company DESA of the Aguasarca project. Del proyecto hidroeléctrico Aguasarca. 
The message was recorded about three months before her murder. On the day of the recording, her organization, Copine, was holding a protest against Dessa's Aguazarca Dam. And the protesters ran into resistance. Berta recorded this message to let other backers of her cause know what's going on. These DESA employees are being supported by the military police. They have a private security company. And they are blocking the Copin buses and threatening to damage them. They're insulting and offending us. And these slurs are full of racism, of discrimination and sexism. For those who knew Berta, this moment is powerful. To them, it's as if she's there in court, testifying against David and his company. Muy buenas tardes, su señoría. Muy buenas tardes, pues a todas las partes que nos acompañen en este juicio oral. After nearly three months of testimony, it's time for the closing arguments. The state prosecutors lay out the bones of their case. They review the key text messages and witness statements, and they sketch a portrait of David as a killer, an executive driven by the simple desire to protect his interests and to undermine anyone who threatened them. The private prosecutors representing the victims try to put the case in a broader context. They say David needs to be in prison, but this trial is bigger than him, and it's bigger than Berta. The private prosecutors tell the judges they have a historic opportunity to break a cycle of impunity for the powerful in Honduras. They point out that David comes from a life of privilege and that he doesn't fit the stereotype of a cold-blooded killer. But the prosecutors warn that appearances can deceive. To meet David Castillo, judging by his appearance, his background, nobody would think he's capable of committing a crime like this one, because he doesn't have the appearance of a classic criminal. But this is the profile, these behaviors at this level that have shaped the history of this country. It's from these positions of power, and not just through this act, but many acts that they've destroyed the social fabric, that they've destroyed the institutions of this country. This observation, that David wasn't a typical murder suspect, resonated with me. I'd met David. He'd looked me in the eye repeatedly, insisting that he was innocent, that he too mourned Berta's death. He said he admired her. Berta was my friend. It could not bring in my mind to do any harm, not only to Berta, to any human being. I'd met his mother, his oldest friends. I'd spoken with his former classmates at West Point. All of them were certain of his innocence. They couldn't imagine that he could be even tangentially involved in a murder, much less plan one. I'm convinced their faith and trust in him was sincere. They had no hesitancy in vouching for him. They believe he's a good man. They love him. Try to imagine, just for a moment, that David deserves their trust. 
that he's been falsely accused. If that's the case, those friends and family members have been deeply wronged. And then, of course, there's the other possibility. What if David didn't deserve that trust? In that case, the suffering they've endured over the past three years seems even worse. It seems cruel. Berta and her family and everyone who loved her, they're obviously the primary victims. But no matter the outcome of this trial, they're not going to be the only ones. Murders like this are insidious. The victims multiply. Before the judges reach their verdict, there's one more step in this trial. The judges want to give the people directly affected by this case a chance to address the court. First, the judges hear from Berta's family, her children. Berta's daughter, Bertita Isabel, tells the judges that her mother raised her and all of her siblings to recognize injustice, to always fight on behalf of people whose rights had been trampled. But she says she never thought they'd have to apply those lessons to their own mother. Berta's youngest daughter, Laura, tells the judges that by fighting for her now, they're fighting for all the women and mothers who've been victims of violence. But she says it's a fight that won't bring back all the hugs and the nights with her that they've lost. Next is Berta's son, Salvador. He's kept a much lower profile than his sisters in the years following his mother's murder. He addresses the court from a remote video feed. He tells the judges that this is a unique opportunity to punish not just low-level hitmen, the poor who are paid to kill, but to punish those who pay them the economic powers that support a culture of murder. Together, the Caceres family issues a unified plea, deliver a guilty verdict, and set a precedent that might protect future victims and prevent similar crimes. Then, for the first time during this trial, David Castillo speaks. He greets everyone in the courtroom, including Berta's daughters. But they're not interested in listening to him. Both gather their things, rise, and walk out of the courtroom as he talks. He says he first wants to thank God for the life he's living, despite the challenges of the past couple of years. And even though Berta's children have left the courtroom, David addresses them. I want to say, especially to all of the family members of Berta Cáceres, that I had nothing to do with her murder, neither directly or indirectly. I want to underscore that. I did not participate at all. I had no payments. I didn't intervene at all. I had no involvement in the logistics, 
or in getting weapons. I want to state this so that it's clear and present in your minds. Again, he says that he and Berta were friends. Friends who held different points of view on a lot of things, but friends nonetheless. While mentioning this, David refers to his mother, Denora. She's sitting in a chair near the rear of the courtroom, working her hands nervously. He says his mother always raised him to be a good Christian, to respect others, and to accept those who don't share the same beliefs. He speaks of his father, who died shortly after he was detained in prison. He speaks of his children, who haven't seen their father in three years and four months. This has been difficult for me too, obviously. But God has a plan for my life. I don't understand it, and I don't question it. Throughout the trial, the prosecutors have described David as a representative of a powerful economic and political class. He addresses this. I have felt at a disadvantage going against the state prosecutors and the teams of private prosecutors because in reality I don't have political or economic power however you all you do through your systems of communication with all the political support that your organizations receive David ends his statement asking that the court evaluate all the evidence fairly impartially, so that he might soon be able to get his life back. And that's that. The judges dismiss everyone, so they can spend the next several days reviewing the evidence. And after that, they'll call them all back to the courtroom for the announcement of the verdict. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Five days later, the judges send out a message. They've reached a verdict. Crowds of Bertha's supporters gather outside of the courthouse. For months now, they've transformed the sidewalk and the busy street in front of the building into a sort of shrine to Berta. They burn incense and arrange candles and flowers around her portrait. Some hold signs with pictures of her smiling. Others hold pictures of David with one word scrawled across his face. Guilty. Inside the small courtroom, the judges have allowed 10 people from David's side and 10 from Berta's to sit in the back. The lead judge greets them and assures them that the court has been impartial, that the judges have not allowed themselves to be influenced by any outside interests. She now says she'll read the court's verdict, which was unanimous. She begins with a straightforward review of the facts of the case. She outlines the dam project, Berta's opposition to it, and David's role as CEO of DESA. In that context, managers who oversaw the hydroelectric project, including the director, Mr. David Castillo, sought to take action to neutralize the movements and opposition of Mrs. Berta Cáceres and others in the organization COPIN. The camera in the court doesn't show David or the judges. It's pointed at the spectators in the back of the court. Most sit motionless, listening intently. In the front row, David's mother sits with her hands in her lap. Her back is perfectly straight and her head's held high. But when the judge flatly states that her son sought to, quote, neutralize Berta's actions, her head slumps. The lead judge says the evidence against David was circumstantial. But she says it's the accumulation of numerous strands of circumstantial evidence that has allowed them to reach a verdict. She points out that David's lawyers suggested that there was evidence that others, besides David and Dessa, might have wanted Berta dead. They implied that other companies that Berta fought against, or even criminals or drug traffickers, might have been involved. 
These in the opinion of this court were left as mere hypotheses, unconfirmed and furthermore contradicted by others that are in fact supported by the technical evidence intercepted from various communications, such as extraction of information from telephones and mobile devices, including those of Mrs. Berta Cáceres, Douglas Bustillo, Sergio Rodríguez, and the defendant himself, David Castillo. David's mother sits with her arms crossed over her chest, staring straight ahead. The judge continues. Due to all of the above, the federal court is fully convinced that the circumstantial evidence presented, in addition to being sufficient and consistent, establishes with certainty that Roberto David Castillo has been involved in this case as a co-author of the crime of murder against Berta Isabel Cáceres. He took actions to carry out that objective had control and played a role in how and where the crime would be committed. It's at this point, one of the spectators reaches out to Berta's daughter, Laura, and grasps her hand, a gesture that conveys not so much celebration as simple relief. We, as a result, convict Mr. David Castillo for the crime of murder against Berta Isabel Cáceres. After the verdict, Berta's daughter, Bertita Isabel, leads a crowd gathered outside in a familiar chant. Berta didn't die. She multiplied. The guilty verdict issued by this court means the structures of power didn't succeed in this case in breaking the system of justice. And the criminal organization of the Atala Sabla family, which was instrumental in the guilt of David Castillo, did not achieve its goals. Her family hasn't achieved all of its goals either. She says David Castillo's conviction is a monumental step in their quest for justice. But she promises that it won't be the last one. The judges today haven't determined David's sentence. That will come months from now, in separate proceedings. In Honduras, the minimum sentence for planning a murder is 20 years. The maximum is 25. Berta's family promises to push for the harshest penalty possible. She says her family will continue to demand that the investors behind Dessa, including Daniela Tala and the rest of his family, be convicted as well. Bertita Isabel hands the microphone to the lead prosecutor for the family. He says hundreds of activists and environmentalists have been murdered in Honduras in the past decade. He hopes this may be the first conviction of many to follow. As he speaks, Bertita Isabel makes a phone call. She connects with her grandmother, Berta's mother. She's 88 years old, and she couldn't make it to the courthouse today. 
But Bertita Isabel takes the microphone back and holds it to her cell phone. Berta's mother wants to thank the people who supported her daughter and her family throughout the five long years of this legal process. Berta's mother fights back tears. She says that the trial has brought back painful memories. She's had to relive her daughter's murder. But today, with the verdict, she feels a measure of relief. She says now, her grief brings her just a little less pain. In a parking lot near the courthouse, David Castillo is led into the back of a large transport truck. The bed of the truck has a canopy over it, but the sides are open. Two armed guards stand in front of him. He sits on a wooden bench. He's wearing jeans, tennis shoes, a clean white jacket, and handcuffs. Photographers from the local press snap pictures of him as the truck pulls away and carries him to prison. River is reported and written by me, Monty Real. Topher Forges is our senior producer. Our theme was composed and performed by Senia Rubinos. Special thanks to Carlos Rodriguez. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It helps others find out about the show. Thanks for listening. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.